Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the On Call Empath. You know, I've had a lot of episodes up to now, and, you know, you come across um, a certain episode and it really hits you hard. I know sexual violence is a very sensitive subject. In fact, uh, my next guest, Tim Moso, is a survivor of sexual violence turned educator. Sexual assault is more common than we think, and uh, it even happens to males. Uh, in this episode, uh, Tim Mozo, he actually comes forward uh, about his uh, sexual violence experience and tells the world exactly what he went through. Um, it's definitely not an easy topic to talk about. He was brave enough to be a guest on my podcast. The thing is, Tim is now a educator. He's uh, speaking all over the world. He's trained over 150,000 people with 400 organizations, including the con- including members of Congress, U.S. Air Force, and the Fortune 500 companies. If you or you know of anyone that's been through sexual violence, um, definitely share this episode. And just a fair warning, if you get triggered easily, I want to put a disclaimer out there that there will be some sensitive topics being discussed in this particular episode. If you are going through any type of mental health issues, definitely seek out a qualified medical professional in your area or a therapist. So with that said, let's go ahead and get started. All right, guys, we are back, and I have a very special episode for you guys. You definitely don't want to miss. My next guest is Tim Moso. He is a survivor of sexual violence that turned into an educator. For the last nine years, Tim has spoken to almost 400 organizations, including a member of Congress, U.S. Air Force, and the Fortune 500. Um, Tim's work is now the idea of everybody should feel safe in relationships. And it's an honor to have you, Tim. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thanks for thanks for having me and just being willing to talk about this really kind of critical topic and always timely topic. Yes. And this is very important because, you know, as far as sexual abuse, it it could happen to men. It could happen, you know, obviously women. Um, so there's really no say to, you know, who's, who's mainly the target. But before I get there, um, I mean, it looks like you lived, you know, um, you lived pretty much everywhere for the last four years. Uh, is, how did that all start for you? Yeah, my dad growing up was in the Air Force. And so kind of as a Air Force kid, we constantly traveled. And so there was, it was just this weird feeling of, I remember in, you know, kindergarten, basically being told, hey, we're moving. And at the time, we were moving to Germany, actually, of all places. And so like, I just learned what the map was and was like, hey, do they speak English over there? (laughs) Um, And so we we just traveled every few years. Uh, I've never actually been anywhere longer than four. And so I've, you know, spent a lot of times overseas growing up. And then as I got older, you know, we settled back in the United States, moved for college. And then just kind of since I've become an adult has constantly been like always moving to the point that it feels kind of like there's this itch of like, Oh, I, you know, it's approaching four years. I got to go. Right. And then you went on to writing children's book. Is that correct? And then, uh, you're a published poet. 
Yeah, and so working on uh, a number of children's books right now, um, I think for me it's always been a way of kind of release and an outlet from the other work with sexual violence just because, you know, I've, I've made that a full-time career in doing sexual violence prevention. And so for me, I, I kind of always was a writer by trade and said, hey, I need something else that doesn't involve my trauma as a way right. of kind of <laughs> making sense <laughs> and enjoying the world. And so just funnily enough, happened to gravitate towards children's books as a result of it. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, um, just before we start, just a side note that obviously anything that we talk about on this podcast is only for informational purposes, educational purposes. So, it's, you know, if you're having any mental health issues or physical issues, definitely see a qualified physician. So with that said, let's go ahead and dig in. If you don't mind just telling me like your experience and, you know, the tragic thing that uh, that you went through. Yeah. And so the really interesting thing for me is that I found out about my assault uh, about two years after it happened. Um, when it when it actually occurred, the individual who assaulted me had drugged me and I'd been unconscious throughout it. And so I had no idea that it occurred. Right. And two years later, all of a sudden I was at work and I started to receive letters sent to me anonymously. And the, the letters were pretty derogatory in the kind of contents. And they were um, just wishing me harm and talking mm-hmm. about things from my past experience. And then all of a sudden, one day, my work at the time had hosted a number of well-publicized conferences. And a few days after one of those conferences, we came back to the office. I received mail from the hotel we'd been staying at. And originally, I kind of thought, oh, this is just you know like a bill or a credit card or something like that. Um, and when I opened it inside were pictures of me being sexually assaulted. Oh my gosh. Um, and so that was my first introduction to it. Right. And I'm, I'm covered in tattoos. So because my tattoos, we could kind of tell when it occurred was likely when I was 20 years old. Um, and my body was just, uh, um, basically limp and lifeless in the photos. And, you know, like I said, I had, I had no recollection of this. Um, wow. and so all of a sudden this really opened this door to this experience in this world that, you know, kind of became this new part of who I was. So was it, so just backing up, was it like a date rape drug or did, did they put something in your drink or how, how did you, how did that all play out? Yeah, that's what I assume. Right. Um, cause I, I think it's still one of those things that, and, and immediately on seeing the photographs, there was still kind of this degree of uncertainty of when it specifically occurred, like for the life of me, I couldn't remember like if it was, you know, a certain night when it occurred, right? I could probably narrow mm-hmm. it down to a, a time frame and kind of thing. Um, but we're, I, I'm guessing based on just like, especially looking at and, you know, kind of analyzing the way my body looks, we're guessing it was some kind of probably like date rape substance. So. Oh, wow. I mean, that's going to be very traumatic for you. And then you, you got pictures. Now th- this is, um, do you know who this was? Was this a, somebody that you knew or was it just a random person? So I actually don't know still to this day who assaulted me. Um, based on the angles of the photographs and all of those kind of pieces, I have no knowledge of who committed it, right? Um, which was part of the, a large part of kind of my trauma and especially experiencing that is there was this degree of uncertainty. I didn't know if it was a, a someone I considered a friend, if it was a stranger, because some of the information they knew in the previous envelopes, I think it was someone in one of the communities or friend groups that I was a part of, which just created such a large degree of kind of like paranoia and untrust of my way of reacting to it was basically cutting myself off because I had no idea who had done this. Wow. That that's gotta be traumatic. And afterwards, like, I can't imagine like maybe 
you would have like second thoughts of like going out, having PTSD, having triggers. Let's start with like, how do you, you kind of overcame your triggers and the habits that, you know, that were causing you harm? Like, when did you recognize when all of that happened? Some of it was figuring out things that were kind of like outside the norm, right? So because this had been happening through the mail, um, always receiving mail was for the longest time and still can be like very triggering, right? So anytime I would open an unmarked envelope, I, I originally would have panic uh-huh. attacks. Um, so for some of it, it was like knowing, okay, can I find someone who can open this for me? Can I trust someone to open this? So if even if it is something I can still engage with the material, I still would want to know what that person was sending, but it was no longer, you know, me seeing it right away, right? So I could at least prime myself. Um, other times it was just recognizing like, Hey, going out and being in a crowded area can be very difficult, especially if I'm not around people where I feel like I can trust those individuals. Or if I, you know, I like one easy example is not letting other people get my drinks for me or be around my drinks. Um, And so just being in that place of like, if I'm going to have this, I'm always going to keep it in a certain area. You know, for a long time, I didn't drink after that. And, you know, that was a, a choice of like, that was the easiest way of doing it. And then when I started drinking again, it was like, okay. You know, if I'm going to do this in a social setting, what are the ways that I can control this? Who knows about mm-hmm. this as well to watch out for me and just be aware for me as well? Um, and what is what, what point do I need to stop? You know, is, if it starts to come up, it starts to stress me out. Yeah. One of the things that I get from a lot, a lot of the listeners that, that uh, write in is when they go through a traumatic experience, whether it's rape or um, something that happened during childhood, they fear that no one's going to believe them. So they don't say anything. Um did that ever cross your mind? Like, did you ever feel like, okay, I'm not, I'm a little ashamed. I don't want anyone to know. I mean, did you have to go to the police and, and file a report? Like, do you ever feel like they would even believe you or how, what went through your mind? It was actually something that was pretty almost deadly for me for the first six months because um, I did go to the police. Uh, having photographs made it a little easier to be like, no, here's definitive proof, right? Which I think sometimes is very unique for survivors. Um, But even then, the hard thing was, is that because the person who did this to me was sending the envelopes to my place of work, and I was calling the police to my place of work, one of the first people I had to tell was my then boss about it. Um, And his reactions were awful. They, he asked me, you know, because there was, there was this irrefutable evidence that the assault had happened. But his initial reaction was, are you sure this isn't something you did that you're embarrassed about? Are you right. sure this isn't something that you did that you're, you know, doing to yourself for attention? You should never right. tell anyone about this because you can't find a job. Right. And so I think that even though there was this degree of like, I have proof that a lot of people don't have, there was still this intense shame where my first reaction from someone was, how did you let this happen? What's wrong with you? And that really kept me quiet for, you know, almost six months to a year, right? I was, I told a very few number of people about it, because I was just, I felt like this is somehow my fault that this happened to me. And that it was just so devastating, because I was afraid to talk about it. Sure. And now, like, you know, you're speaking, and you've trained you know, you've trained over 150,000 people, over 400 organizations. So, I mean, definitely you're making impact. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something that, uh, you know, something to said for that, especially after everything you've been through. But my next question is, you know, what are some tips for some of the survivors, um, you know, that may have gone through sexual violence that are probably tuning into this particular episode? 
what can you tell them, especially when people are just kind of writing them off and, you know, just if you go to a therapist or, or the police or, you know, no one's really taking you as serious as you need to be because it seems like that's what you kind of experienced. Yeah, I think one of the first things you can always do is figure out what parts of your story you want to talk about and what you're comfortable sharing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think sometimes you're going through this and and it's very painful to remember or recall those incidents and the details, but understand that like you don't owe anyone information that you're not comfortable sharing and you don't need to talk about it more than you want to. And so a lot of times I recommend people like figure out what it is that you want to share, right? Because that can be detailed of, hey, this happened on this day or this time with this person, or it can be, you know, on this day I was sexually assaulted. Right. Um, and so I think there's a lot of control that can come when we can figure out the specific information that we are sharing or not sharing, what of our story we don't ever want to talk about or we may not want to recollect or not want to bring up. Um, and I think sometimes even I would recommend writing it down and documenting it. Um, and that doesn't have to go anywhere. It doesn't have to be used by anyone or made available to anyone. It can just be handy to have on your own. Um When it comes to also telling your story and talking about it, I think trying to do so in a way that uh, the term I always use and I've used it quite a few times already is like this idea of control. Um, How can you give yourself control as you're doing this? And for some people that might mean, hey, look, I want to go and report this to a police station or in a place of authority, knowing that that's going to remove me from a personal setting. For other people, it might be, look, I want to do this at my house. or So I want to call the mm-hmm. dispatcher and have police come to my house because I have a partner, I have friends around me, I have people who can be there with me. So I'm going to feel more comfortable doing it. Um, so just knowing a little bit of what that control is. And then I think the other thing is just always recognizing that like, No one can take away your experience. So even if people doubt it or even if people don't believe you, that doesn't lessen at all what you went through. Yes. And, you know, one of the things, you know, that's really tough, uh, especially after something this traumatic um, and just asking from our personal, your personal um, opinion is how do you go about having a intimate relationship um, or even, you know, getting married and, you know, and then all that, like, is that something that crossed your mind or, or is, is that something that holds you back? Yeah, I think it, it's always, you know, I'm married now myself. Um, and it's always come up in every relationship, even this one, as well as prior previous relationships. Um, part of it was really figuring out what I needed to talk with my partner about and past partners and like how to disclose them. I think for me, it was a little different because it was, it was such a large part of my job that it was, Mm -hmm. you know, the second you sit down and meet someone on a date, it's like, Oh, what do you do? Well, I talk about this. Well, how do you talk about it? Oh, this is, you know, my experience. Um, But even if it wasn't, I think, and even though it is, there was still some times where we would need to really talk about like, what are, what are our boundaries? Right. So like, even in our relationship, what are things that I don't want to talk about? What are parts of my experience that I don't want to have conversations around? Um, There's things I don't want to tell you or discuss and like setting some of that. Um, I think sometimes it might be physical boundaries of like places you do or do not want to be touched, how you want to be touched, what that looks like and what that involves, especially with intimacy Um, boundaries around the, you know, the idea of no, of like, this is this can't be like if I say no that's that's an immediate stop like there's no question and I mean that should be in any consensual relationship but like there's no question there's no doubt there's no anything like this is a very serious thing and like this has to stop right um and then I think it's also 
a huge piece for me and my current relationship has been talking about like, what are times hard for me? Um, and so, you know, April is when my, when I found out about my assault. And so April is always a difficult month. And on top of that, for me, April is sexual assault awareness month when I'm speaking a lot around the topic. And so like, that's a time where my partner knows, Hey, like we should probably make sure to check in on each other. And like, there's, there might be some more difficult lingering emotional baggage or the way I feel physical stress is going to be different during this time. Or like, I may not want to be as intimate during this time because it's just not the way my mind is functioning at all where, you know, I, I care about her and I love her, but during that time frame, I'm just really kind of like internally focused and shut down. Yes. And I know like you don't hear too many men coming forward especially when it comes to rape. I don't know if it's more of a, I guess, a taboo subject or it's very shameful. But in your in your opinion, I mean, you've talked to so many people and you have a lot of connections. Is this more common than we think and just kind of put under the radar? Or is it something that, you know, because, I mean, normally we don't see this every day. It's mostly like you hear a lot of like women um you know, coming forward uh, with this, but I haven't come across too many men that, that do come forward. Yeah. So the, the average statistic generally is like one in six men will experience some type of sexual violence mm-hmm. in their lifetime as kind of our best estimate. Um, and I think that's very accurate. If not higher, there is such a stigma around it. Right. And so um, because we've oftentimes like associated just masculinity with sex. And for the longest time, there were these ideas of like, you're masculine because the type of relationships you're having and the frequency of the relationships. A lot of times there was this kind of false equivalency between a man's identity and the type of sex he was engaging in or how much sex he was having. And I think it's really, it has created that stigma of there's a lot of fear of talking about what you've gone through. Um, one of the other things we know is that regardless of whether someone identifies as straight or gay, um, the largest perpetrator of sexual violence against men is men, right? And so like, even though I'm a heterosexual man, I was sexually assaulted by another man, you know? And for me, that was something that it it did impact me. Like, what does this mean for me? And how do I talk with this about people? And how do I talk about this with future girlfriends, my wife? Um, And I'm thankful that I had the ability to feel comfortable and supported in that. But I think a lot of people don't. And I think, you know, so another piece of research we know is that generally um, it takes the average male survivor of sexual violence up to 20 to 30 years to start to talk about their experience. And that was because a lot of times, especially in the past, men were waiting until they were in a very established relationship, had a very established career and a very established community because they, they still felt and still do feel this almost like risk of if I come forward, is this going to impact me in all of these different places um, that it just pushes people into silence? Yeah. So just changing gears here a little bit. I mean, now focusing on, you know, healing and if anyone's listening out there, just know you're not alone in this. I mean, that's why I, ha- you know, I had Tim on this podcast. Um, let's talk about healing. Like, I know that you're big on, you know, writing. Uh, I know for some other people, it, you know, it could be therapy, medication, and a whole host of things. But for you, what were some of the things that helped you overcome your sexual trauma? Yeah, I mean, therapy did help. Um, I saw a counselor and she was phenomenal. And I think one thing that she especially did was she got me connected with other survivors and engaging in a survivor support group was phenomenal. Um, It was local to the city I was in at the time. And I think there was something nice about just being able to go 
and to feel normal, right? Like it wasn't okay what any of us went through, but there was also just this degree of like, this is all of our shared experience and that's awful. We're still people and we're still okay. Um, and then as you mentioned, writing is a huge thing for me. I think, especially because I didn't know who did this to me and I, there was no way I could figure it out. We tried to, you know, to the police, hired a private detective. So there was, this, I had a lot of anger and rage around sure. this, this person who did this to me and I had no idea of identifying them. And so I wrote letters, right? I wrote letters to them that I wish I could send to them. I, I wrote the things I would want to say to them about it. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote letters to my boss who I couldn't say anything to because I needed the job at the time of like, oh, mm-hmm. this is what I wish I could say about the way you responded to me and the way you treated me. Um, you know, I wrote as a way of it kind of exploring my emotions and just kind of getting it out there in a lot of places where it felt like, hey, I can say things that I can't say publicly or to other people that I don't ever need to say publicly or to other people that also just like help me process some of the deeper feelings that I had. And some of the, I think the, the things I was afraid to like talk about, especially some of those like really dark pieces where I was like, man, I, I never want to say this out loud because it just sounds really messed up. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of effective therapies that I've heard from um, therapists that I've had on the show called EDMR yep. um, hypnosis. I mean, there's, everyone's different and they react differently to, you know, different methods. But, uh, I mean, it could be a combination of things, but, you know, anyone that's listening out there, you know, there is help out there. Um, definitely Tim is a good resource to have. Um, so I have to ask you, like, before all this happened and fast forward today, what do you think is like the biggest thing, um, the biggest difference in you? Like, I mean, obviously there's a trauma part, but do you think that this has made you like a, like to find your passion? And cause it's definitely seems what you're doing now is it's a movement and you're helping those who doesn't have a voice, which is amazing. Unfortunately, you had to go through really bad situation. Do you think you're, you found your passion, um, in life, you know, helping people? Absolutely. Um, you know, I had always, I had always kind of been in the training and development space. I was designing college courses on leadership and, you know, studying leadership and working with undergrads. And like, I always knew I wanted to be in some kind of like training role and public facing and helping people. I think it just, it switched the topic I was focusing on and like really tweaked the way I was looking at it. Um, and kind of the impact, right? So like I was doing, a lot of like soft skill training and like leadership stuff. And this was like, okay, this is something more significant um, that for me felt much more salient and really necessary. Um, With that, I think that I've still, you know, always had the consideration of like, this is something I love doing. And it's, is that weird piece of like, because it happened to me and because it happens to too many people. um, And I think that's why it's always like balancing, Hey, this is a part of my identity. It doesn't have to be the only part of me, but it still feels very meaningful, especially because I think that like when I think back to my experience, there was a lot of stuff that I never heard that I've always tried to b- build my programs around. Like, what are the things that I never heard that I just wish someone had said to me, um, you know, when I was younger and either preventing this from happening or just dealing with it. Um, and there's so much value, I think, that comes from that. Yes. And it's amazing work that you do. And just so wrapping up here, um, there's a lot of people tuning in and I, I, I can tell you there's many that are not coming forward with some of the abuse, whether it's, you know, from a family member, a, you know, a friend or anyone. And they've kept this secret for uh, many years. 
So if you can talk to that person that's listening right now who has been through sexual violence, what is one thing that you can tell them that may help me that actually helped you through this process? Remember, it's not your fault. Um, no matter the circumstances or the situation, if it was one time, multiple times ongoing, it's, it's never your fault. Um, and I think that just the inherent nature of sexual violence builds this large degree of shame where we feel we can feel even when even though it's someone else's choices, we feel ashamed it happened to us. And then I think the even more insidious thing is that it's easy to feel like shame of not talking about it. You hear other people share their stories or come forward and it's it's easy to feel shame of like, well, why can't I do that or why am I not doing that? And just remember that this isn't your fault and you have nothing to be ashamed about. Um, everyone's experience is their own experience and everyone's journey is their own journey. And we all process the world differently and process our trauma differently. And just know that take the time, be there and listen to what you need. Um, and as long as you're finding things that make you feel safe and well, like understand that there is never any shame that you need to feel around it because it happened to you or because it, it, you haven't talked about it yet and you want to talk about it or it's taking you so long to talk about it. Um, it's never anything to be ashamed of. Very well said. And, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And um, if you could just let us know where our, the, uh, my li- our listeners could find you and what you are going to be up to in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the best way to stay in touch with me is my own website, timmuso.com. Um, I publish a series, I publish articles there regularly, videos, um, resources for survivors, as well as how you can support survivors in your own organizations and your community. Um, you know, April is always a busy time with Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, helping just launch and roll out ca- campaigns for sexual violence prevention on college campuses and then with military installations. And then really throughout the rest of the year, it's, it's trying to help companies, businesses and such uh, strengthen their sexual harassment trainings. I think right now we're having a lot of conversations around what that means and what that looks like. Um, and so leading a number of kind of workshops, programs, seminars for a variety of companies on like, hey, here's ways we can we can make this an approachable topic um, without just relying on it being like a compliance type thing. Yes. And I know that work workplace is another big big thing. It's another podcast episode. But again, I want to thank you. It's been an honor for me to have you on my show. um, And you're always definitely welcome back anytime. Absolutely. And thanks for the work and for letting me be a part of this. Absolutely. There you go, guys. Um, If you can do me a favor, if anyone that you know that might be suffering from sexual abuse, violence, uh, please feel free to share this episode. Um, And also let us know how we're doing. You know, if you can rate me on uh, Apple iTunes, it really means a lot. Helps me bring in more uh, guests like Tim from around the world. I got a lot more coming up uh, this month. Stay tuned. And remember, you're never alone. We are out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.